Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Aaron. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. It's the final week of our month-long Patreon pledge drive. If you already support this podcast, thank you. If you don't, we hope to change your mind with an entertaining assortment of bonus episodes, Patreon previews, and of course, regular weekly episodes, like the one you're about to hear. An unusual suspense adaptation of Ray Bradbury's 1943 short story, The Crowd. But what does Ray Bradbury have to do with Patreon, you ask? His classic novel, Something Wicked This Way Comes, will be the subject of my next mysterious old book club. Every six weeks or so, a dedicated group of patrons join me via Zoom for an in-depth discussion of a mysterious old morals-adjacent novel or story collection. Past books include Ghost Stories of an Antiquary by M.R. James, We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson, In a Lonely Place by Dorothy B. Hughes, The Beetle by Richard Marsh, and Be a Villain by Rex Stout, of One Blood by Pauline Hopkins, The Mysterious Affair at Styles by Agatha Christie, and if you're listening to this in the far-flung future, hundreds more. So if you happen to share my taste in literature and long for the nerdy company of fellow book lovers, please go to patreon.com slash the morals and become a patron today. And now back to the podcast. The Crowd was first published in the May 1943 issue of Weird Tales magazine. Since then, it has been included in a number of Bradbury collections, including Dark Carnival in 1947 and The October Country in 1955. The suspense adaptation was written by veteran scriptwriters Morton Fine and David Friedkin. The duo took many liberties with the crowd, reimagining Bradbury's weird tale as a hard-boiled crime procedural. The play was directed by Elliot Lewis, who underscored Fine and Friedkin's film noir take on the story by casting Dana Andrews, best known for his portrayal of police detective Mark McPherson in the Otto Preminger classic Laura. Joining Andrews was a who's who of dramatic radio's greatest voices, Joseph Kearns, Lou Merrill, Howard McNear, and Jeanette Nolan. And now let's listen to The Crowd from Suspense, first aired September 21st, 1950. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Autolite and its 96,000 dealers present Suspense. Tonight, Autolite brings you The Crowd, a suspense play starring Mr. Dana Andrews. All right, stand back. Keep moving. You got other places to go. Go to them. Poke you in the tummy with my billy. What happened, officer? Yeah, uh, Lieutenant, the way it happened, I, uh... Well, officer, we got a right to know what it's all about. What's going on up there? I can't see. 
Get somebody to hoist you up on their shoulders, citizen, then you'll see. Well, sometimes I don't understand this kind of thing, Lieutenant. A couple of minutes ago, this was an empty street. Now this crowd... You still haven't told me what happened. Uh, well, I was directing traffic up the street. A woman screamed, and I thought it was just... Well, you know. But no, it was this guy laying on the sidewalk with a knife in him. Dead. Murdered. The people running around him, this crowd. Is he dead? Get out of my way. I want to see. I want to see. Dead, huh? Dead. In just a moment, Mr. Dana Andrews in the first act of The Crowd. Hi, a hap? New suit? Yeah, Wilcox. You like it? Love it. Reminds me of Autolite ignition engineered spark plugs. Custom made and a perfect fit for your car. Yeah, it's real hand tailoring, too. You said it. Autolite engineers tailor spark plugs just as they tailor the complete ignition system used as original factory equipment on many leading makes of America's finest cars. That's why ignition engineered Autolite spark plugs are world famous for quality and dependability. How to give me a lot of wear? Thousands of miles. Why, when you replace worn out spark plugs with ignition engineered Autolite spark plugs, you get smoother performance, quick starts, gas savings. Hey, Wilcox, everybody knows about Autolite spark plugs. How about my fall suit? Ignition engineered Autolite spark plugs will suit your car in every season, Hap. So, friends, See your friendly Autolite spark plug dealer and have him replace worn-out spark plugs with world-famous ignition-engineered Autolite spark plugs. Whether you choose the resistor type or the standard type, you can be sure money can't buy better spark plugs because you're always right with Autolite. And now with the crowd and the performance of Mr. Dana Andrews, Autolite hopes once again to keep you in suspense. The call had come in from the police call box 12 minutes before. Had come to headquarters, been transferred to me, Johnny Stilano, because I'm a lieutenant, New York police. Things like this are my job. It had taken me maybe five minutes to get there, and already the crowd was there. The crowd. A ring of shifting, compressing, changing faces looking down at the dead man, watching the shape of death in his face. Stand back! Stand back! Officer? Have you gone through this man's pockets? Do you know who he is? Uh, no, sir. I haven't had time. I'll do it. Here comes the ambulance, Lieutenant. All right, you people. Why don't you move on? Give him room. Give him room. Hi, Johnny. Hello, Doc. You through him? Uh-huh. All right, boy. Let him through. Come on through. Out of the way, you. Here and there, on the fringes of the crowd, a man detached himself from it, bit his lip and left. Even the spectacle of death can't compete with a time clock. Get back to work and tell your friends about it. Then the sound of death fading away. And then the crowd, too. And in a little while, the only thing left of it was an unconvinced passerby who looked over his shoulder at the spot and hurried on. Then the leavings of the crowd. A dead man... Identified from a worn leather wallet as Edgar Dale, West 32nd Street. Name and address. Go there. Dig into a life that was done. Ask why. At Edgar Dale's rooming house, a woman opened the door only halfway, touched her cotton wrap around high on her throat, shook her head to most of my questions. Edgar Dale had no family, lived alone. And a shrug to... What friends? 
You worked, that's all. At the Becker Sign Painting Company on First Avenue. Maybe there, mister. I went. Something I can do for you? I'm a police officer, Johnny Stellano. Oh, oh, how do you do? My name is Becker, Elliot Becker. A man worked for you. Edgar Dale? Edgar Dale. I I just put the phone down on the police a minute ago. They called, told me what happened. Then you know why I'm here. I believe so. You'll want to know all about Edgar. I'll help all I can. Tell me about him. Edgar, Edgar was like anybody. Looked like anybody. Talked like anybody. Kept to himself. He did his job. A a man who sat in the supply room and back and read science fiction magazines when he didn't go outside to have lunch. What else? I don't know. You can only judge a solitary man by the things he did to give you that impression. He listened to jokes but never told one. He clipped pictures of movie stars in bathing suits and pasted them over his workbench, crossword puzzles, contests the newspapers ran, those things. Friends? Girlfriends? I don't know, Mr. Stellano. I've wondered sometimes who might enjoy Edgar as a friend, but I don't know. Where was he killed? Two blocks from here. This morning. I I saw the people running. I I couldn't get away. That's too bad. How was he killed, Lieutenant? What did he look like? Johnny, been waiting for you. What's up, Reardon? Even your phone calls. Five altogether. From whom? I don't know. I tried to wheedle it out of him, but the man just wouldn't say. He said he'd keep trying, though. He has to talk to you personally. What else? Uh, this envelope came addressed to your special delivery. It's marked personal. Open it. It says personal. Open it. Hmm. 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 What is it? A picture, Johnny. Clip from this afternoon's extra in the news. I saw it there myself. A picture of the man who was stabbed to death on the street with the crowd around him. Let's see it. Now look what's written under it, Johnny. Yeah. I did well, didn't I, police? Next time it will be even better. Johnny Solano speaking. Oh, I, I finally got you in, Lieutenant. I read in the papers you were assigned to the case. Uh, the man found dead on the sidewalk. Yes. I uh, just called to ask you if you got the clipping I sent you. The one of the dead man lying on the street. I I sent it special. Oh? I I just got in. I I haven't had a chance to look at the mail. Will you hold on just a minute while I check? Place this call quick. Right, Johnny. I, uh... Oh, yes, I have it here. The words written underneath. Did you write them? Oh, Oh, yes. And I meant them. Every word. There will be a next time, Lieutenant. There will be another murder. I I believe you. I won't be so foolish as to think you're some kind of a crank. I can see you're a very intelligent man. It was very clever how you committed the murder. Broad daylight on the street. Oh, the next one will be even more spectacular. Far more. Well, tell me about it. (laughs) Oh, there's no need. There'll be a crowd. You'll read about it. I'll send you a picture. I got it, Johnny. Gilbert Shoe Repair. It's right around the corner from here. I got the blotter on my desk. Gilbert Shoe Repair. Gilbert! Hey, Gilbert! 
Turn off that machine. I want to talk to you. Huh? Turn off that machine. Oh, sure, Johnny. <laughs> huh? Oh, you want your shoes, Johnny. He ain't been in here so long, I was going to put him in the window with a for sale under him. I don't want to talk to you about shoes. Not about shoes? There's something else we can talk about? About a man. He just made a phone call from here. What man? Uh, listen to me, Gilbert. Just a couple of minutes ago, a man came in here. I don't know what man. He made a phone call. From here? Use my phone? Yeah, maybe he did. All right, so he did. You don't understand, do you? This man was a murderer. Two minutes ago, he was in here using your phone. Oh, so what am I supposed to do about it? I'm a shoemaker. Look out through the window, Johnny. See all those people? Every now and then, one of them breaks off, comes in, wants his shoes fixed, wants to use the phone. Yep. Oh, yeah. A few minutes ago, one of them did come in. And he asked to use my phone. Well, I didn't notice anything about it. I never noticed anything about any of them. They're all alike. Some are men, some are women. This one was a man. Then back into the street again and into the swarm of the crowd. Into the wash of anonymous faces, the blob. And somewhere in it, a murderer. Then back into the office. Sit down again. Stare at Reardon again. Reardon stares back. And then, get up, walk to the window, stare at the crowd. Phone's ringing, Johnny. Uh Uh-huh. Don Estelano speaking. You don't run so fast, Lieutenant. You know, you know, you almost knocked me down when you ran across the street into that shoemaker's shop. Really? I'm close by, Lieutenant, in the payphone on the subway, 34th Street. Run fast, Lieutenant. Hello? Hello? Never mind, Reardon. Him again? Him again. He even told me where he was. So I'd go there and close my eyes and point a finger at the five o'clock subway crowd and say, You, you're a killer. I almost knocked him down. I talk to him. We chat on the phone. Uh, I can give you a category for this murderer. These phone calls, the boasting of his killing. I'm not a doctor, and I know he's crazy. Sure, sure, sure you do, Reardon. I don't know where to start. Where do I start, Reardon? Take it easy, John. A lonely little man is stabbed to death on a street in New York City. For all I know, this killer is standing right beside me, looking down at the dead man. The killer sends me a picture. Killer calls me on the phone. The killer tells me he's in a subway at 34th Street Station. The killer... Lieutenant. Yeah? Call box report just came in. Man was pushed in front of a subway at 34th Street Station. And the pattern repeated itself, but with variation now. The body of a man, broken, crushed, without form, like a child's drawing of death. Lay on a bier of railroad ties of glistening steel rails. Over him, the shroud of a subway car. And deep in the cavern, the lament of hurtling steel, the crowd. The crowd watching on the platform. No variation here. Same crowd that gathers and watches at all death's public performances. The crowd. Let me look, let me look. Get out of my way, I want to see. Dead, huh? Dead.
Autolite is bringing you Mr. Dana Andrews in The Crowd. Tonight's production in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Say, Wilcox, you have a good tailor. Sure, Sam is a suit stitcher supreme now. He never makes the pants too long since his car worries stopped. Well, what was his trouble? Why, Sam's sedan used a tank of gas just to get out of the garage. That's ridiculous. <laughs> That's what I said. I told him to stop blowing his top and have his spark plugs checked by his friendly Autolite spark plug dealer. Did he do it? Yep. Now this pleased pantaloon producer is getting a real run for his money. He replaced the spark plugs that were not functioning properly with ignition-engineered Autolite spark plugs. And now he gets smoother performance, quick starts, gas savings. I'll bet he thanked you, Wilcox. He did, Hap, he did. And he couldn't have bought better spark plugs for his car than ignition-engineered Autolite spark plugs. So, friends, see your friendly Autolite spark plug dealer and have him replace worn-out spark plugs with ignition-engineered Autolite spark plugs. Whether you choose the resistor type or the standard type, you'll know why you're always right with Autolite. And now Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Mr. Dana Andrews in Elliot Lewis's production of The Crowd, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Johnny, I'll push him away for you. One side here. One side out of the way. Police, out of the way. I guess we'll have to go through the car, Johnny, and out through the end to get to him. Yeah, come on. Hey, is there a Stolano here? Oh, Lieutenant Johnny Stolano. Wait, Reardon. Yeah. Stolano, somebody on a uh, phone booth here wants a Lieutenant Stolano. Lieutenant Stolano on a phone. He's wanted. Sure he's wanted. By the draft board. <laughs> Yeah, I'm here. Don't hang up. I'm here. What's the matter, Lieutenant? <laughs> You're out of uniform. <laughs> Former PFC presents you with a phone. Johnny Stallano speaking. Oh. Oh, I'm glad they reached you, Lieutenant. You see, there was another dead man. Crowd much better than the first. Much, don't you think? Much better, the man said. Much better. How good does death have to be? This time, the murderer had chosen to push a man under a subway train. The crowd seemed to like this one better, too. They stayed longer after we got the body out from under the train. Legwork. Questions. The dead man? Adam Treppel, the Bronx. Inquiries. He's married, three children, managed the supermarket. More inquiry. No motive for his murder. No one wanted him dead. Everybody said so. Johnny, I brought you a thermos of coffee. Thanks. Uh, and this envelope just came for you. Special delivery? Marked personal? Mm-hmm. Give it to me. Like the last time? Like the last time. Newspaper picture. This is a triple under the subway train. With the crowd around. Uh-huh. Look at him. And look at this one. The first one I got when Edgar Dale was stabbed. The crowd. 
Why do people always hang around other people's hurt? I'll pour you some coffee. You want coffee, Johnny? Yeah, yeah. Here you are, Johnny. Johnny? What? Huh? This man standing here in the picture, right up front of the crowd, around Edgar Dale. This man here. Not very clear. So? The other picture, the one on the subway. This man, also in the front row of the crowd. Also not very clear. So? Look at him, will you? I'm looking. Hey. The same man, Reardon. The same man in both pictures. I won't say no. Me neither. Because it's the same. It could have been a coincidence. It could have just happened that way. One chance in 50,000, in 100,000, 1,000,000. But it could have happened. One man, a part of a crowd, having his picture taken as a spectator of violent death. On a crowded street, in a subway... One man pushing his way to the front of the crowd to have his picture taken just because it happened to him twice in the same day. By some sly smile of fortune, it was arranged for two people to die just where he happened to be. Just where there was a man with a camera to take a picture too. A picture that would give him a name in his neighborhood, make people look up to him. Don't tell me how it was. He was there, twice. Then there was the other chance, that he was the murderer. That's the one a policeman had to put his money on. He could do that by talking to a man he knew in a newspaper office, a man in charge of the morgue, a man named Marty Powell. You slumming, Lieutenant? Don't you ever open a window in here, Marty? Who wants fresh air? Fresh air is for the bird. If you don't like it here, go away. Still sour, huh, Marty? You come from out there. Anything happened to it out there just before you came in? No. I didn't think so. When it does, when it dries up and blows away out there, I might sweeten up if I feel like it. What can I do for you, Lieutenant? I want to look at some pictures. Don't we all? Pictures where people were killed, where... Look, Lieutenant, I got files and files of those to the ceiling, see? Be more explicit. How were they killed? Accident? War? By a wife? A jealous lover? Suicide? Stop me any time you like. I tire easy. Unloaded revolver? Well, it's hard to explain, Marty, but, uh... Pictures like these. Local. Let me see. Mm-hmm. Pictures like unsolved murders, huh, Lieutenant? Where the killing was violent. Too violent for you boys to solve? I'll get some for you. Hard to explain. How far back, Lieutenant? Two, three years, maybe. Mm, I was afraid of that. Here you are. I made a selection for you. The most artistic, the most captivating. Several of these won prizes. We are very proud of this one, for example. To your taste? Mm Mm-mm. Let's see some more. This one. Hold that one out, Marty. Not the one with the guy who fell out of the window or the other one? The window. I'll see some more. You've been here for two hours, Lieutenant. I told you, I tire easy. More. Okay. That one. I'll take these these two. Goodbye, Marty. Hey, 
Detector Reardon? Uh-huh. Yeah, pull the screen down. Okay, turn out the lights. Let's have the first one. This is a picture of a man pulled out of the river. He was shot. This picture was taken in December 1948. Notice the crowd. Notice this spectator. The one in the front row, not wearing a hat. Let's have number two. A picture of a man who was pushed or fell out of a window from a ten-story building. June this year. Again. Notice the crowd. And the man in the right-hand corner of the crowd being pushed back by a policeman. Now run the slides of the ones we had made from the newspaper clippings. The crowd around Edgar Dale. Notice that man up front, on the end. Okay. The crowd around Adam Treppel. Notice the fourth man down in the front row. What do you think, Reardon? They're all the same man. You sure? The same man. It took an hour for the newspapers to hit the streets with a front-page picture of a man wanted for murder. A man in the crowd who, for two or three years, had quietly committed murder. Four killings, to our knowledge. Now we knew what he looked like, what went on inside his mind. He liked to kill. He liked to stand with the crowd over his kill. With the crowd, liked to see death up close. That man is my husband. Where's your husband now? He's in bed. He pretends he's an invalid. Been lying there for five years, but I know he sneaks out at night when I'm asleep. Been waiting on him hand and foot for five years, and I know he's only pretending. We checked it. The man was an invalid, paralyzed. Then? I'm the man. I'm the man you want. I did all those killings. This picture of you we have, you don't look the same. You've changed. That's right, I've changed. I change all the time. Don't you think that's clever of me? Yes, it is. Will you wait here a moment? Reardon. Yeah, what is it, Johnny? There's a man in my office. Take him to the psycho ward for observation. Johnny Stellano speaking. Please, can you come here quickly? Who is this? I'm Mrs. Jane Shirley. I, I have a rooming house at 1216 East 38th. What is it you want, Mrs. Shirley? The man whose picture's in the paper... The man you're looking for, he has a room in my house. Is he there now? No, but I expect him home any minute. Please, will you come quickly? Right away. His name's Charles Turner, Mr. Solano. At least that's what he told me it was. He's been living here for the past seven years. I don't know much more about him than that. He comes and he goes. Take me to his room, Mrs. Shirley. Yeah, right down the hall. I'll turn on the light. This is his room. These pictures on the wall. A man in a subway, on a street corner. A man who fell out of a building. Yes, they all belong to Mr. Turner. He hung them on the wall. I never asked him. What'll happen now? Do you have a room near the front of the house? My room. We'll wait for Mr. Turner there. Don't worry about a thing. 
I'll get it. Johnny? Who are you looking at me like that for? I told you to wait in the squad car. Well, a call just come through. A guy's holding our killer. What? Yeah, a greasy spoon lunchroom down the corner. Now, Mr. Turner always eats right down the corner. The guy who runs the joint phoned in that our man is eating his supper there right now. Let's go. Hey, there's a crowd. That's funny. The street was deserted less than a minute ago. Let's go. All right, let us through here. Police officers, let us through. What happened to you? You, you police. That's right. I own this place. He saw me making the phone call. Ran out. I ran after him. He had a knife. And... uh... He's dead, Reardon. Huh? Johnny, he's not. He just fainted. I said he's dead. Will one of you people in the crowd go in the store and call an ambulance? This man's dead. That's him, Johnny. This man. Is he dead? What happened to him? Anybody know what happened? Would you like to see him, mister? Would you like to see him up close? Why, why, I... The photographers will be here in a few minutes. Why don't you stick around and have your picture taken, Mr. Turner? Well, you're wrong. My name is not Turner. I just wanted to know whether the man was dead. That's all. I... I want to get out of here. Come back here, Turner. One side. Come back here. Johnny. Yep. Let's go, Rarity. Johnny, look at him. Look at him. Yeah. Here comes the crowd. Is he dead? Get out of my way. I want to see. I want to see. Get out of the way. I want to see. Did he really die? Huh? I want to see him. Suspense, presented by Autolite. Tonight's star, Dana Andrews. Say, Wilcox, your tailor has a lot of satisfied customers, huh? Yes, Hap, but nowhere near the hundreds of thousands Autolite satisfies each year, because Autolite makes over 400 products for cars, trucks, planes, and boats in its 28 plants from coast to coast. These include complete electrical systems used as original equipment on many of America's finest cars. Generators, coils, distributors, voltage regulators, wire and cables, starting motors, and electric windshield wipers. All engineered to work together perfectly as part of the Autolite team. All engineered to give you unexcelled Autolite service. Don't accept electrical parts supposed to be as good. Ask for and insist on Autolite original factory parts at your neighborhood service station, car dealer, garage, or repair shop. Remember, you're always right with Autolite. Next week on Suspense, Mr. Joseph Cotton as star of Fly by Night. And in the weeks to come, you will hear such famous stars as Miriam Hopkins, Milton Berle, and Howard Duff, all appearing in tales well calculated to keep you in Suspense. Tonight's Suspense play was produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with music composed by Lucian Morawieck and conducted by Lud Bluskin. Parts of this program were transcribed. 
The Crowd by Ray Bradbury was adapted for suspense by Morton Fine and David Friedkin. Dana Andrews appeared through the courtesy of Samuel Goldwyn. He may currently be seen in the Goldwyn production, Edge of Doom. And remember next week on Suspense, Mr. Joseph Cotton in Fly by Night. world-famous Autolite resistor or standard spark plugs, Autolite stay-full batteries, Autolite electrical parts at your neighborhood Autolite dealers. Switch to Autolite. Good night. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That was The Crowd from Suspense here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. Uh, whose pick was that? Was that yours, Joshua? It was my pick. And I, you picked it because uh, it ties in with our Patreon pledge drive and book club and all that. Mm-hmm. But also it's Ray Bradbury, who you love. So that's nice, right? Yes. And so there's a lot here that's just for you. It's all just for you. No, it's not <laughs> entirely for me. One of the reasons I picked it is because it is a incredible departure from the source material and it transforms Bradbury's weird fiction into a sort of law and order-esque crime procedural. No, it's not at all like law and order, but I did think you would appreciate the hard-boiled nature of it and it it would not be what you'd expect from Ray Bradbury because it's not Ray Bradbury, it's Fine and Friedkin. So pretending that I have not read the source material... Is it not a detective story at all? Not in the slightest. And wow. we don't have to pretend that I haven't read the source material. Will you please <laughs> explain to me the differences? I'm really curious. I will give a really brief synopsis of the Bradbury story uh, because it is so different that there's no point in saying, well, in the story it did this and in the radio drama it did this. Uh, partly I, because of the voice, right. which I is annoying. Say, so I don't you know didn't why have I have to do, do that. the voice. <laughs> all right. A Bradbury story opens with a man who is in a terrible car accident in the middle of the night and he wakes up to see a crowd gathered around him an ugly crowd asking similar questions to what we hear in the radio drama are they dead is he dead are you okay blah blah blah. and he becomes obsessed with this crowd how they got there so quickly um the distinctive faces he seemed to recognize in the crowd and he leaves the hospital from his injuries, sees another accident, and recognizes some of the same people in the crowd. Oh, this and, is so much better of a story. <laughs> and so he becomes obsessed with crowds and starts doing the research and finds people's faces in the crowds and starts to come to some conclusion that there's possibly a, a secret society of a, crowds. A, le- a legion of yeah, gawkers. Or supernatural <laughs> crowd. Um, but I won't tell you how it ends. There's Why? a a second there where I thought it was going to go a, a sort of J.G. Ballard way where he was like, I got in a car accident and a bunch of people saw me in a crowd. I'm going to get in some more car accidents. <laughs> this is awesome. He does get in another car accident. <laughs> I'm going to pretend what I know what J.G. Ballard is. <laughs> uh, first I, of all, oh, if you if you did. Uh, it's a place to go to buy all your preppy clothing. Oh, J.G. right. Ballard, right. Haven't you been Ballard. there at the mall? <laughs> little J.G. on the shirt. There is a J.G. Ballard store, isn't there? No, I'm I'm stopping myself from a handicap accessible joke, but <laughs> <laughs> so number one, 
That sounds like a much better story. I like that better than what I just listened to. Second, why won't you tell me the ending? Because <laughs> there are listeners who may want to go read the story. It's, there are people who read. Solve this way. Hey, uh, fast forward 20 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Will you tell me off the air how it ends? Yes, like I will. on the air. Tell will me when we're done. Read it to him? Yes. <laughs> will you read it to me? Yes. <laughs> Uh, so, I will say that both of those stories are very compelling to me. They're the mm-hmm. one that I heard and the one that I'm pretending not to know oh, very yeah. convincingly. Yeah. You've, so you've read it. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, let's, well, let's talk about this story. Yes, I liked the noir element to it. I loved the dialogue of it. Well, it's essentially it. Danny Clover from Broadway is my beat. Right. Because Fine and Friedkin were writing this at the same time. Oh, and there are right. lines that are just straight out of that show practically uh when he's describing a dead man identified by a warm leather wallet as edgar dale name and address go there dig into a life that was done ask why yeah they may have just recycled a broadway <laughs> an idea from broadway is my yeah. beat and uh repurposed it for this i only had one moment that sort of threw me which was any all right trace the call all right, we're gonna go to this shoe store guy and like was there someone here making a phone call like two seconds ago? I know where you're going. Yeah. No one here but me whose voice sounds not unlike the voice you heard on the phone. Right. <laughs> First of all, the shoe store guy sounded like the guy on the phone. Second, he keeps saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And says, well, you mean other than the guy that came in to use the phone? <laughs> oh, see, it's McNear. It's Floyd the Barber. He's very... Distinct. No, I know they're distinct, but they're, it was close enough... Well, I think this opens up a whole another area of discussion here is that they were doing thematic things with these characters that were being interviewed. I get that, but this was the first one. Oh, I think it was the second one. The first one was the guy from Edgar's Place of Work. Ah, yeah. Yeah, they both seem really creepy and suspicious. And you're right, they are in the general same vocal range as I think it's Joseph Kearns who played the killer on the phone. Classic crazy Joseph Kearns. Dennis, get out of my yard. <laughs> the thing I really liked about this version of the story is the detective sort of journey through this cynical view of, of humanity, getting to the point of, I know I can catch this killer by yelling that this guy's dead. Like, it's like calling a dog to the food bowl. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to shoot him and draw another crowd. <laughs> that was a moment for me because it was, uh, he runs away. They don't try to run after him. He just looks at his partner, whoever it was, this Billy or whatever the guy's name was. He's, uh huh. Bam, bam. <laughs> I was like, wow. Just shoot him in the back as they run away. That's an interesting uh, solution to that because you better hope you got it right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they were going on the evidence of the wounded delirious sounding guy who Mm -hmm. had just fainted saying that he had a knife. Mm -hmm. There's nothing in the script to indicate that I think his name was Taylor, the killer, the suspect. Mm -hmm. I treat this like it's the real world. Uh, But he never brandished his knife or threatened anyone with a knife. He just ran away. Yeah, I'm not making any other comment other than hilariously in any era, (laughs) that would be a hard one to explain away as a police officer. <laughs> if they you, are convinced, <laughs> if they can convince someone like, this is the guy, yeah. we strongly believe this is the guy, uh, then they could make the argument that letting him go is putting someone in danger. It reminds me of that moment, in, and it always makes me laugh in A Wonderful Life, where George runs away 
And the cop just starts shooting at him down the street, and everybody on the street has to hit the deck. <laughs> <laughs> he just starts shooting at it, Bailey. Like, bam, bam, and everybody goes down. And then they look up, and they don't look at the cop and go, hey, 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 whoa. <laughs> they look at the cop and go, oh, you missed him. <laughs> uh, a bazillion years ago, I used to read Comic Buyer's Guide regularly, and there was a column in there. This is a super pertinent anecdote. Uh, col- a column in there called The Law is a Ass. <laughs> uh, named for the Oliver Twist quote, uh, where this this guy would delve into the legal issues that crop up in comic books. And it was fascinating to me. And th- that's the reason that my thinking on how does one argue that this shooting was necessary. There's a Captain America issue. I'm so off topic here, guys. No. Um, the, the cover is somewhat notorious, but it's Captain America, the submachine gun firing away. <laughs> Uh, and as I understand, in the comic book, there is like an airplane hostage situation where he shot a terrorist with a gun. Mm-hmm. And the, the column was arguing like he's fully in his rights to do that. His shield had been taken. He had no other weapon. People's lives were in danger. He had no other options. Right. That sounds right to me. I don't necessarily <laughs> know, but it was a fascinating analysis. But there was an imminent threat. Yes. Uh, there was no imminent threat at True. this moment uh, when he just... Although this guy was away. killing at a high pace. Again, though, they've got to be 100% sure yeah. that that guy that came forward to see the guy was the guy. And they really don't have the proof at that point that that's the guy. They have a wounded guy and some picture clippings on the wall. But we will save that for our... Ah, yes, for our... our I, this has nothing to do with whether if I rambling. like this or not. I'm just having a lot of fun. Like, <laughs> get him. The law on the radio is a ass. <laughs> yes. <laughs> bang, bang. Shoot him. Good. We, now we can go home. I mean, I think mostly it was there for that over-the-top, hard-boiled quality that Eric quoted when the yeah, right. one cop's like, Johnny? Yeah. <laughs> There's just no emotion whatsoever. Mm-hmm. The... Stuff that I enjoyed, honestly, the most about this was the thematic layers about crowds, the anonymity of crowds and how that affects human behavior and how each person they spoke to played into this theme of almost non-identity. The first victim, Edgar's boss, describes him as he looks like anybody and talks like anybody. Mm -hmm. And then he says, I saw those people running, but I I couldn't leave the shop. Like he was really disappointed to not have been a part of the crowd. And then he starts echoing the crowd and is like, how was he killed? What did he look like? And And then it's picked up again when they talk to the shoe store owner who, again, can't remember what anyone even looks like. They're all just faces in a crowd to him right. who came in, who used his phone. It's Maybe you can remember if they're a man or a woman, but that's it. I can't remember what era. The speed graphic camera, that era of crime scene photography, it really grabbed headlines and, and on newspapers and sold papers because it, these photographers could get on scene fast, take their pictures without anybody really getting in their way, and it made these really splashy, dramatic front pages. Well, that ties into Marty, the uh, newspaper morgue attendant, who is the keeper of all these horrific photos. Yeah. He seems like a character straight out of Broadway as my beat. Yeah. Very dark, very sardonic. Uh, I will confess it was my own misimagining of like, going down to the morgue to look for, oh, newspaper morgue. Yeah. (laughs) We store dead bodies and photographs. (laughs) 
I love that scene because by the end of it, Johnny starts to mirror the sort of voyeuristic enthusiasm of the crowd voices we've heard when mm-hmm. he starts to see the pictures he likes. <laughs> I want to see more like that, more. That's the one. And it's like, ooh. It occurred to me as we were listening to this and thinking of like, what sort of things do I want to say about the themes and this morbid fascination for darkness and death? What do I want to say on my podcast about horror stories and <laughs> like eh, maybe I should not say maybe I right right not position to judge people but we are talking about fictional uh, scenarios as opposed to yes bringing a microphone bodies. down to a car accident on the corner yep hey wait a second <laughs> when you drive by a car accident so my wife and I have a rule one whoever's driving don't gawk for a number of reasons, one of which, keep your eye on the road and be, let's be safe. So we always say, oh, there's an accident up here. I'll tell you what I see. But it's hard on us because both of us, if we're alone, do not want to see. And so I don't look anyway. So this but whole you like having it described to you? No. Oh, okay. I thought that's uh, no, we going. also... No. <laughs> but, but it's a compulsion. It's no, hard not to. It's hard to not to, but also... If something happens, I don't go rushing up to see it. I get away from it as fast as possible. I don't have that impulse to go look at stuff. However, driving by it, the compulsion to look over there is overwhelming. So with my wife and I in the description of it, it isn't, okay, this is what I see. This is, okay, you should be really glad you're not looking or it was nothing. That's, you know what I mean? Like that's, <laughs> that's what we tell each other. Well, yeah, it's not just the obsession with death, which is throughout this. Particularly, I'm thinking of the wife who's convinced uh, her oh, invalid husband. husband is the killer and he's just faking it. <laughs> so she's convinced she's been babysitting death. Um, the guy who thinks he is death, just in uh, very clever costumes. Oh, <laughs> right. If that guy was faking and then had the police come and verify it, like, yes! <laughs> In your face, wife. <laughs> In your face, I told wife. you I was an invalid. <laughs> Verified by police. Uh, but in addition to the death obsession, I think that anonymity is an important part of this, which made me think of very contemporary social media behavior, where you are have this online crowd that will, A, mask your identity occasionally, depending on who you are on social media. I mean, some people don't have that anonymity, but you also have the crowd to sort of back you up. And there is a lot of social psychology that does link that anonymity to aggressive behavior, rude behavior, illegal behavior, and specifically anonymity in a crowd to violent behavior. Um, And so it was interesting uh, near the end when... um, the killer says something about, ooh, this was an even better crime. There yeah. was a bigger crowd, yeah, uh, yeah. which made me think of social media. I was like, I, you know, I got a lot of likes on this. <laughs> I have more followers. Uh, so uh, I think that's part of what makes this appealing is you can map a lot of contemporary concerns onto it. I wonder if, if, if an implication was that this guy got started, like, and he wasn't killing people, but he saw crowds at some accident mm-hmm. and made up. You know, it made a positive imprint on him and he wanted to recreate it over and over again. Or he saw himself in the paper one time completely oh, yeah. innocently and then just wanted to get in the paper again. Uh, there weren't enough 
accidents to be had or murders to be had. So he started making them. Yeah. But it's interesting that that's not the story's concern is his psychological. Yeah. It's more concerned with the social psychology, not the individual psychology of the situation. In some ways, this is the noir setting given a character, this crowd, this disconnection from people in humanity, this anonymity, this hard, cold place full of millions of people, the irony being (laughs) the city. I I think that is clearly what was appealing to Fine and Freakin, the ability to graft this hyper noir aesthetic onto this weird tale. And uh, I think they do it rather successfully. Should we send it to a vote? Yes. Joshua just uh, said my vote. Thank you. I thought it was really successful as for what it was. It's not by any means a classic or a classic of suspense. But I think the acting was great. I think the production was great. They had some really subtle, really nice theater of the mind moments. I don't find it terribly suspenseful or scary, but I did find it compelling enough to sit through and go, that was fun. I think it actually stands the test of time, and that's about as far as I'll go with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, the cast is phenomenal. You you make a good point that it does not have the really classic suspense twist at the end. Mm -hmm. I I think the end has some delicious irony in it, uh, but not so much a twist. The actual story itself of hunting this guy down, please forgive me, Joshua, I'm not even going to look at him when I say this, it has a very shadow plot quality to it. Well, there is the shadow we listened to with the man who hated crowds. Right, that's right. They needed to sick this guy (laughs) on this city and start blowing up the crowds like he did with the But I admired that, appreciated the, all right, so this guy got stabbed. Let's sit down. Let's go over to our clues. We have nothing. We have no clue. There's a huge city full of crazy people and we have nothing. Oh, thank God he sent us a letter and called. (laughs) (laughs) And that's kind of the irony of the conclusion. We got him, but oh no, we have a huge city full of crazy people (laughs) and we don't know who or where the next killer will strike. Um, so to get back to my voting, uh, I think the stands the test of time. There's a lot to, to uh, speak well of it. I, I think the only thing I'd be critical of is the grafting of the uh, the story and the noir because I, I felt like it has some tone switches. That the like the the tone of the the crowd dialogue is a little broader and uh, shadow like. Shadow-like, yes. I think that's true. Mm-hmm. Well, it's very stylized. These are yes. also the writers of crime classics. Yep. So that's another thing it reminded me of, particularly the dialogue from the crowd. Yes. Neither I thought was bad, but I think it felt like a little bit of a different tone than the hard-boiled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the switching of tones. Not huge roller coastery, but yeah. a little bit. Yep. That is, I'm with you. And <laughs> if I'm going to criticize anything, and I suppose I gotta, <laughs> that would be what I would criticize. Um, I think this is a classic episode of Broadway is my beat <laughs> and a pretty good episode of suspense. I really like Fine and Freakin's hyper stylized version of noir. It seems consistent throughout to me. I really like the psychologizing of the crowd. I love the cast. I love the heavy use of irony and dark humor. Yeah, I just really enjoyed it. I liked that this was a brazenly unfaithful Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep Blade Runner type of adaptation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's 
more fascinating than a by the numbers adaptation. Although I would also really love to hear a by the numbers adaptation of the crowd. Um, so sounds like I, a challenge, Mister Scrimshaw. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's a classic, but I do, as Eric said, think it stands the test of time for sure. You can totally mm-hmm. grapple with some contemporary issues while listening to this, and uh, this yes. side of human nature seems to be eternal. Yeah, you could play this for someone who doesn't know anything about radio drama and be relatively sure they can go, that was interesting or <laughs> good. <laughs> that wasn't like, Scott Bishop. I, I don't think that what's the way they would say. No? No. It, people who aren't into old time radio <laughs> would be like, so Scott Bishop. All the, all the kids are saying that today. Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is the home of this podcast. You'll find many other episodes there that you can listen to. You can comment on them. You can vote in polls. You can send us messages. Let us know what you think about these episodes. Um, you can also link to our social media pages from there. You can uh, link to our Threadless store and get some mysterious old radio swag. And you can go to our Patreon page. Yes, go to patreon.com slash themorals. And support this podcast. We have literally spent an entire month asking you to do this. So I think I'll just skip right over or I'll maybe do a pause in which the listeners can really think about whether we have convinced (laughs) them or not. (laughs) Uh, Just like the episode of uh, Count to 100. (laughs) (laughs) Should we count to 100 and let them think about it? That seems cruel. We will probably lose patrons. So instead, I'm just going to reiterate, count to patreon.com. <laughs> yeah, count to four and then click. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to see us performing live, we do adaptations live on stage of classic old-time radio shows, sometimes not so classic, and a lot of our own original work. We do audio drama on stage monthly. You can find out where we're performing every month. By going to ghoulishdelights.com or mysteriousoldradiolisteningsociety.com. There you can purchase your tickets, see where we're performing this month and what we're performing. And if you're not in the vicinity to see it live, become a Patreon because we record them. And then you get to watch them, well, for free, kind of. Well, it's part of your Patreon. Yes, Yes, there you go. It feels like it's free. Right. But yeah, (laughs) you can watch the video of our performances. Hey, what's coming up next? Uh, Next, we are done with our Patreon pledge drive, but we are not done with patrons. So now back to the music. (laughs) (laughs) We are not done with patrons, though, because we are rolling into Thanksgiving, and that is our month to express our gratitude for our patrons, uh, particularly our patrons who've been supporting us for a while. And we'll be having some guest appearances and some Patreon requests that we will be uh, doing. So tune in for those. It's a mystery what they will be even to us. Until then. Let's go right Dead. Johnny, look at him. Look at him. Yeah. Here comes the crowd. Is he dead? Oh!